Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. So we're starting a brand new series of messages today called Isn't She Lovely? And we're talking for this week and for the next two Sundays about the church, what it is, what it does, and what we're supposed to be about as we gather. Now, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, uh, there are some places in the scriptures, well, let me, let me back up for a minute. Uh, there are places in the Bible that make people uncomfortable, yes? There are parts of the scripture, if you've ever read the Bible for yourself, and I hope that you do, uh, I hope you own your own Bible or that you've downloaded the app and you're reading maybe a little bit on your own once in a while, uh, if you've never done that, Book of Psalms, Gospel of John, both good places to make your beginning. But if you start exploring the Bible for yourself, it's just a matter of time. There's going to be a point where you read something that just lands on you a little bit funny. There's going to be some time, there's going to be a point where you read something that makes you go, what on earth is that about? And that's off-putting, and I don't quite know what to do with that. And, and, and there are places like that for me too, even as a pastor. So if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you've read this stuff before, there are places in the scripture where God, when God talks about his relationship with his people, God uses the language of a lover. And it's weird, especially if you're a guy. It's weird. So, for example, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were worshiping other gods, right? From time to time, the children of Israel, and this sounds weird to us, and I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about figurative other gods, like you could make an argument that we, in our culture, worship the god of fame, or we worship the god of money, or we worship the god of sexual conquest, or we worship, you know, whatever, whatever metaphorical god you might fill in the blank with. I'm talking about false gods, like nobody here is worshiping Dagon or Marduk or any of the weird Old Testament gods that they used to worship. The children of Israel would literally worship other gods, false gods, from time to time. And as weird as that sounds to you and I, to God, this was something that was part of his relationship with his children. And when that happened, God would speak using terms of a brokenhearted lover. He would say things like, you're cheating on me. You've broken our covenant vow the way a spouse might cheat. And in the New Testament, when, 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 uh, when, when the apostle Paul talks about the church, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, as Jesus' bride. Now again, if you're a guy, that language just sounds weird. It's hard to reconcile. I'm going to read you some scriptures right now that are going to to help you understand what I'm talking about. And this is from the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a guy who started churches. He just got churches started in what we now know as Southwestern Europe and Asia Minor. And one of those churches was in a city called Corinth. And he wrote a couple of letters to the church in Corinth, uh, which we refer to as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So this is from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 2nd Corinthians Chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted 
Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So I want to back up and catch this phrase. And this is from verse 3. I fear somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Your pure and undivided devotion. So Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is going through some heavy stuff. Uh, The city of Corinth was uh, one of the most lavicious, like just like over-sexualized places you can possibly imagine. The church in Corinth was embedded in some serious struggle. The people that went to this church and were a part of this church were struggling with other gods. There was, he's talking about peop, a different Jesus, a different faith, a different spirit. Like people are corrupting the DNA of the place. And Paul is saying, I promised you, did you catch this? I promised you as a pure bride to Jesus. So Paul is kind of saying, I started the church, I'm responsible for the church, and I need you to maintain pure and undivided devotion. So that's really our teaching point. The church, as we make our beginning in this series, the church is called to pure and undivided devotion to Jesus. Pure and undivided devotion. A focus on Jesus as a bride would focus on her groom, or if you're on the other side of the aisle, as a groom would focus on his bride. So, as you you, you begin to to ponder this, imagine, you know, a wedding. Some of you, uh, maybe, maybe there's, there's a couple of you here who are engaged. Maybe somebody here is heading for a wedding at some point. Maybe some of you will attend a wedding at some point this summer. Maybe some of you are single, and you'd like to be in a wedding sometime soon. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. We can look around, single people, so it's okay. Um, So, you know, weddings, how many of you guys understand? I, I, I I think we all understand. How many of you understand that weddings on Long Island are completely ridiculous? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so we say, yeah, we just clap that up right now. We all just understand. Now, I don't know if you know, but weddings in other places are not like weddings here. Uh, we, we do, there's just a cultural thing because of where we grew up. There's pressure, societal pressure for a wedding to be this insane event. And I, you know, having had, you know, like when, when a pastor does a wedding, you get the best seats in the house. I've been, I've been front row center. I'm not going to say it's hundreds, but like dozens and dozens and dozens of weddings. And so, uh, you know, I've watched, I've seen Couples, engaged couples, spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars because they need all the stuff that goes with a Long Island wedding. And it's just, you know, are you going to have, are you going to have a DJ? Are you going to get a band? Are you going to ask your cousin to make a Spotify playlist? You know, uh, you're going to have a big spread. You're going to have a little spread. You're going to have a big catering hall. What's the how many? What's the price per head? And and now you're spending like insane amounts of money that you don't have, and you're kind of just hoping to make it up in gifts, right? Like and so that's that. I'm sorry, like to call it out, but that's how Long Island weddings work. I still remember vividly my first really out of state wedding. I was in Minnesota, and all I I grew up in Staten Island. It's the same thing there. Um, so 
I still remember my first year in seminary in Minnesota, there was a couple from the church that I was attending and they had a wedding and they invited me to the wedding and I went to the wedding and the wedding was at the church. And then afterwards, the reception was in the church basement. And we went downstairs and they had punch and cookies. Both of those things, punch and cookies. (laughs) Kool-Aid and cookies. And there were two trays of finger sandwiches. They went quick. And that was it, bro. That was it. Everyone gathered. Everyone had a couple of cookies and waved. And then the, the bride and groom took some pictures, jumped in the car. And that was the reception. That was a perfectly normal, perfectly adequate, like, wedding reception for, the, that, for, for Minnesota. That's just how it was. And I was there like, what on earth? You can do that? So my point is... As a bride and groom approach the wedding ceremony, there's a lot of things to get distracted by. You get distracted by the details of it. You get distracted by what's happening with the band or what's happening with the catering hall or the menu changes or where the flowers are being delivered or what's happening with the guest list or who gets to be in the bridal party and who doesn't make the cut to be in the bridal party and whose feelings got hurt because this one was in the bridal party but they're not and, and who got to sit with who and who's ticked off because their table wasn't as good as this one's table. Am I, is your blood pressure going up yet? You're not even getting married and you're like, yeah, this is stressful, right? So, and, and this is all taking place right at the exact time When the bride is supposed to be focused on the groom and the groom is supposed to be focused on the bride. And so this bride language is Paul saying to us, there's a lot of stuff you could get distracted by around here. There's a lot of stuff to get distracted by around here. And we got got production and there's there's a a band and there's food and, and, and you might get caught up in what you like or what you don't like or what you think or what you, you, know, what you care for or what suits your palate or your tastes and, and, and how you respond to this or how this makes you feel or, or, or whatever it might be that you're responding to as you walk into the room. And just the point is there's, there's enough details flying around with this thing that you could miss Jesus. And, and our goal is to keep our eyes on him with pure and undivided devotion. Now when I say we, let's back up a minute, because we're talking about the church, our goal, pure and undivided devotion. Who is the we in question? This is an important, an important ask. Who is the we in question? Who, who, is, who are we when I refer to the church, when I say our goal? Because there's two different emphases from Scripture. Paul, as he addresses the different churches, writes to, excuse me, writes to the saints in these cities. In the church of Galatia, he writes to the Galatians, dear saints in Galatia, dear to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Corinth. He writes to gatherings of Christian people. Not that these people are all literally saints. He's just saying the redeemed, you who believe, you whose sins have been forgiven, you who've put your faith in the risen Jesus. 
the saints in this city. So there's an argument to be made that the church is to be a, a biblical argument to be made that the church is to be a gathering of saints, a gathering of the holy. But there's another emphasis in Scripture, and neither one is necessarily right or wrong. We're all parts, we're all parts of, of a larger body, yes? I don't have time to get into it this morning, but there's another verse that says, listen, one body part doesn't get to say to another body part, I'm better than you. We're just all part of the body, yes? So there's another emphasis that begins with the idea that Jesus, the head of the church, was always hanging out with the worst sorts of people. Jesus was always hanging out with disreputable people. Tax collectors. I know it sounds weird for a tax collector to be. Tax collectors were hated the way no other people group in our society are hated. They were considered traitors to their own race. We'll get into it another time. Just trust me. He hung out with drunkards. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with all of the people that, that respectable, reputable, temple, religious society would never want to go near. So there's this other emphasis that the church ought to be about reaching those that Jesus seemed to care most about. And that is illustrated very clearly in the Gospel of Luke. Come with me into this narrative. This is Jesus talking specifically about this. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I mean, we're all sinners, but how'd you like to be a notorious sinner? Some of you are. Okay, so <clears throat> tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus is hanging out with some disreputable people, notorious sinners. And the Pharisees are picking at him. You're, you're associating with these people. Not only are they coming to hear you teach, which I guess you can't help who comes to hear you teach, but you're associating with them. You're hanging out with them. You're having table fellowship with them. You're allowing yourself to be associated with them in public, and this doesn't speak well of you, Jesus. What's the deal? And so Jesus just responds, and he hits him with three parables in a row, three in a row just like this. Hey, if, if a shepherd loses a sheep, 
If a sheep gets lost, he leaves the flock in the field and he goes to the wilderness to find the sheep. God goes to find the lost. And when he does, he carries it home. And he joy, don't miss that word, he joyfully carries it home. Jesus doesn't go into the wilderness and illustrate this thing where the shepherd is like, stupid sheep, get over here, you're done. Like, like, that's not what's happening. He says he joyfully carries the sheep home. He's so excited that he found the sheep and he brings the other sheep home and he calls his buddies and goes, guys, I found her. I found him. He was lost, but he's back now. It's, it's all better. And I was worried. I was so worried, but now he's back. And then he says, if a widow loses a coin, like if she has 99 pennies, 99 coins on the table and one rolls down, and rolls under the fridge or something, she's gonna leave the 99 on the table and she's gonna look for the one that is lost and she's gonna rejoice in the one that is lost. And then he says, just in case that wasn't clear enough, just in case I haven't been sufficiently clear as to what I care about, says Jesus, if you missed it when I said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person who repents and turns to me than there is over the 99 who've kind of just been staying in their lane. In case you missed that from these first two parables, let me hit you with this. And then he drops the story of the prodigal son. The third parable in the series And you know that story. We don't have time to unpack that whole thing, but you know the deal, right? Like the story of a boy, a rich kid who breaks his father's heart, goes away and wastes all his money and just does awful things. And when he returns, the father welcomes him, doesn't scold him, doesn't beat him up, wraps him up in a huge hug and brings rings for his fingers and welcomes him back with joy. So... You probably already figured this out, but when you talk about the two emphases the churches usually take, you probably already figured out which one ours is. In case you haven't heard me say it in a while, we're here for the lost, the broken, and the messed up. That's who we're here for. That's what the church, I think, as I lead the church, what the church is supposed to be about. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at other churches because there's lots of other churches around where the whole programming, all, of the, all that they do and all that's happening there is aimed at people who are already Christians. That's their deal. That's fine. I love that. Uh, nothing wrong with that. In fact, we've had many people from our church go, you know, I think I prefer that. I think I'm going to leave this church and go find another church because that's what's most important to me. And rock on with your bad self. We'll figure that out in heaven. If you're a believer, I'm not worried about that. That's all cool. I'm just saying for me, like, I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't have a bullhorn. I'm not ready for like a flatbed truck in Times Square, but I have the heart of an evangelist. I want to see broken people connect to God. That's what we're here for. I want to see, so if you're here and like you've walked in, maybe it's today or maybe it's at some point in your past, you walked in the door here and your emotional well-being and your spiritual well-being is a smoldering pile of ashes where a structure used to be. We made this place for you. We made this place for you. And God welcomes you back with joy. Not with scolding, not with stern words, not going stupid sheep. He welcomes you back with joy. 
And that is, to me, what the church is to be about. Pure and undivided devotion to Jesus Christ. We are his bride. We're his. We, the we, the corporate us. So some are here who believe. We're here to glorify God. We believe. We are a group of believers. But we're a group of believers aimed at welcoming in the lost and focused entirely on glorifying God and doing what was most important to God, which was reaching those who don't know him. Did you follow all that or did it go by too fast? So if you're going to have pure and undivided devotion to God, it means you can't get caught up in the details. So many people just get so worried about the details, just so bogged down. You know, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and the music's too loud, and the, you know, I don't know why they don't have donuts instead of bagels. They should have donuts and, and, and bagels, and I don't like that song, and I think they should do a different song, and I don't like the way she dresses, and I prefer this worship leader, and why doesn't my community group leader want to do this thing, and how come we don't have a softball team, and, 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 and why does Pastor Bird always wear the same seven shirts? He's been wearing the same, like, six shirts for 15 years. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I should probably buy some new shirts, okay? It's all right. I, I'll own that. Shut up. You get bogged down in the details. You get bogged down in all the little stuff. I know you're tracking what I wear. Yeah, you're, you're just, you could get bogged down in all that stuff. You could get bogged down in all those stupid little details and you could miss Jesus. You could miss him. Don't stop making eye contact with the groom. Don't stop making eye contact with the bride. You're here for him. We're here to lift him up. And once we make eye contact with him, once we're done like just praising him, and in theory, we're never done praising him, but as we're praising him, and as we're getting to know him, and as we're connecting to him, the heart of God becomes known to us, and we start to understand what's most important to him. And what's most important to him is that we lift him up and that we reach out to the lost and that we be a community of people that is so welcoming and so loving and so caring, just so over the top generous in who we welcome to our table fellowship like Jesus was, that the lost come in and go, this is the kind of place I want to be a part of. There are some warnings written to the church. This is from the book of Revelation, and if the shoe fits, go ahead and put it on. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I know all the things you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. The church in our society is not known primarily for our love. 
The church in our society is known far more for being judgmental and accusatory and exclusionary. And if you love Jesus, you can't be indifferent to that. There are broken people in your life who need the Lord. And they don't want to come anywhere near a church building because their impression of this group of people is that we're judgmental and arrogant and we, we, that we, we're keeping a list of who ought to be allowed in here and who shouldn't be allowed in here when none of us deserves to be in here, myself included. When we're all broken, when we're all messed up, when we're all just... So if you've been indifferent to that, turn from your indifference. If you've been focused on what music we're playing or what snacks are available or the temperature of the room or how crowded the parking lot is or whatever it might be that, that, that you're irritated by, you got to check yourself. We're here for him. There are people all over the world right now who don't have this privilege, who's, for whom the least of their problems is a, is a crowded parking lot. We're privileged. We're honored. We get to do this. So our challenge, eyes on him unflinchingly. Don't worry about the details of the wedding. You keep your eyes on the bride. You keep your eyes on the groom. And you learn as you do what's most important to him. That we glorify his name and that we reach the lost. We're going to pick it up right here for part two next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we love you. We do. And we just admit that we get it jacked up. We get it confused. We get ourselves all worked up in the details. We get all wrapped up in all the little things. And we do want everything to be perfect, like a wedding. We want this whole experience to be perfect, so we care and we're about it. But Father, sometimes we miss you in the middle of that. We stop making eye contact with you. We stop focusing with pure and undivided devotion on you. And when that happens... We forget to reach out to the lost, to care well, to set aside our presuppositions and prejudgments and be the loving, gracious, just, just winsome, forgiving people that you call us to be. Father, your bride is lovely. The church is a beautiful thing. Help us keep it so with pure and undivided devotion to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.